I gotta move this up. It's like everybody's so far away. This won't like cause feedback or anything, will it? <laughs> we're like all like heavy over here. It's like we're gonna capsize. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I better move this for the altar call. I don't want to block people coming for that. All right. Well, I'm glad to be here today. I'm just I got a word from the Lord. I believe uh, what the the Lord's put on my heart. I'd like to share that with you today. But uh. I'd like to share about my fasting experience. We just came off a month fast, and uh, it was a pretty cool experience for me, but uh, did anybody struggle with that fasting experience? Anybody have a hard time? I had a few hard times. Hey, good. Do you know that's a good thing to struggle with that? I remember a few times uh, during this fast, it was like, it was so difficult for me. You know, it's like you're just battling. Okay, I I have to, you know... (laughs) Not, not give in, you know. It was a real struggle. But you know that that struggle, most of the time we resist that. You know, we hate that. It's uncomfortable. We wish we wouldn't have to go through that. But that struggle is very important. It's kind of like a, a knife if you have a, a blade, okay, right? So you have to sharpen that knife, right? But is, is the sharpening of the knife the actual purpose of the knife? No. The purpose of a knife is to have a sharp blade and then to cut. But you got to sharpen it, right? You got to, iron has to sharpen iron. You know, you got to sharpen that knife. It has to go through that difficult process for the actual end result. So the end result of a fast, you know, is being closer to God, is, is having more of a spiritual experience, of having less of a, a fleshly experience, uh, you know, drawing closer to God, hearing from God, letting God work in your life. That's the end result. That's the, so a struggle is good. Now, did anybody have... Uh, an experience that was better than expected. Anybody have an, a fast that was better? Okay, some people. Mine was mine was better than I thought. It was actually probably one of the most successful fasts that I personally ever went through. I, I was surprised. You know, I thought maybe it would be more difficult, but it, it, you know, before, like, you know, you'd quit halfway through, and, and you know, and just you'd give in way too many times, and maybe you'd feel like a failure. But pastor's encouragement really helped me uh, just... You know, to stick with it, to to focus on the Lord through the difficult times, to really hear from God. And uh, so mine was better. And, and actually, to tell you the truth, I was sad to go off of it. <laughs> it was like, wow, I actually came so far. It was actually sad. We was talking to my wife. It was sad to stop. And so, but then Pastor also, if you've listened to him, he said he encouraged you to, hey, keep that as a lifestyle. Not like you're going to fast, you know, for your whole life, but just little aspects of it. Just to maybe set aside days or, or certain meals or periods of time where you're going to focus on God and you're not going to focus on your physical needs as much. So that was cool. But uh, so anyway, so as I was fast, fasting, um, I just felt like the Lord was sharing with me two specific things that I could share you know, with the body. Uh, it was like a two-fold revelation, you might say. And so I wanted to share with, with that with you today. And uh, I'm not going to go into, you know, all the detail of it because it's just, you know, it's just too much to share. But I'm going to hit a few high points and uh, just to kind of share the message of it. And it's two points. One is the coming opportunity for the church, especially in America. I want to talk about America, the American church, the American believers. The coming opportunity that we have, okay? And the second part of it, which I'm not going to talk as much about today, but it's the coming wickedness of the world and a falling away. So, you know... I'm going to talk maybe 75% about point one and just maybe 25% of point two, uh, but 
that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you'd like to turn to Galatians 5 with me, I believe we're going to have it up on the, the screens also, but Galatians 5, and it's going to be verses 13 through 25. Galatians 5, 13 through 25. Now to give you a, a quick context of this, the Apostle Paul is actually talking to the Galatians about circumcision and being uh, free from the law of Moses as Christians, okay? And that's what he's talking about here. And we're going to take it a smidge out of context because we're not going to be talking about the law of Moses and circumcision, but it still is relevant what he's talking about for us today. Okay, so verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we hear your words today. We hear the words that the, our brother, the Apostle Paul, wrote down so many years ago. And they cut us to the quick today with their importance, with their relevance. And Father, we just come to you with open hearts and open ears. That we may hear your voice. That we may see what you have to say to us today. And that we may take it. Father, may it be written on our hearts and our minds today. May we go forth from this place changed and be obedient to what you've spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, verse 13, specifically, I want to talk about. I'm going to read that again. For you, you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That verse should be the motto of America, if you think about it. We are called to freedom, but don't use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, as an opportunity, some translations say, to sin. 
because our flesh always wants to sin. I think the NIV calls it the sinful nature, where this calls it the flesh. It's the body. It's the part of us that doesn't want to do what God wants us to do. Our spirit, our hearts, it does want to do what God wants to do. But our body says, no, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what the world wants to do. I want to do what the enemy wants to do. And they're the two opposing forces. But this should be the model of America, and especially the American church or the body of Christ as a whole. In fact, it's, it's one of the most important scriptures. You could put this right with the Great Commission. You could put this right with John 3.16. This is like a backbone, a theme, a principle that should govern everyday life. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. In fact, if you think about it, the American government is formed around that whole idea. Right? I mean, the whole the principle of this nation is that all men, all people are free. We're born free. In fact, a government doesn't give us freedom. Actually, this nation was founded on the principle that God gave every human being the right to be free and the right to live and the right to pursue his or her own happiness, his or her own desires. And so let's make a government around that idea. How can we perfectly or most accurately represent that idea that we should be free, that we should be able to love one another, and that we should be able to serve one another. If we were to make a government like that, what would it look like? And so they wrote down our Constitution. This is the best we can think of. And guess what? This country is the most free place still on the planet. You always hear about people on either side of the political spectrum uh, if this president wins, I'm going to move to Canada. Or if this president wins, I'm moving to Mexico. Okay, you can't go anywhere that's more free than this. This is it, people. <laughs> this is it. This is the last place of freedom and hope on the planet Earth. Okay, you, you can't go to any other nation and have more freedom of speech. You can't go to any other nation and have more economic freedom. You can't go to any other nation and have more religious freedom. You can't. It doesn't exist. If you want to own firearms, there's especially you can't go any other place and have uh, those types of freedoms. So this is still the most free place, the freest place on the earth. And secondly, uh, do you know you realize that America, because we've been founded on that principle that we should be free and that we should love one another and serve one another that America has historically been, and still is, the greatest source of missions to the world. We send more missionaries, we raise up more missionaries, we finance more missionaries than any other place on the planet. So keep that in mind. Now, now also, along those same lines uh, politically, so if you, have a, if, if you have a hard time maybe with that concept of, okay, well, I see our political system and maybe what's going on politically today, and, and it just, you know, I don't know about that. Well, first of all, there's a difference between our government and then there's a difference between politics. Okay, so politics, you know, it's a whole bunch of people saying their opinion. Okay, our government is a set thing, you know, it's our constitution, it's a way. So there's two different things. Secondly, I would encourage you to go back on the church's website, it's therock-ag.com. Okay, and you can look up, there's specifically two sermons that Pastor Carlos preached. 
And one was before the election. It was called, Why Trump and Hillary Are Good for the Church. And I would encourage you to download that file. You can listen to it, or you can download it as an MP3 and put it on your iPod. I don't know if you have iPods anymore. I still have an iPod. Put it on your phone, whatever you've got, I don't know, on your computer. Listen to that. Okay, then there's a second one right after the election. And it was like our response as the church of what, what do we do? How do we treat this because of, of who was elected? What should you know, we do? So I would encourage you to listen to that one too. In fact, if you have a friend maybe who's, who's uh, interested in political ideas and conversation and debates, uh, who, believer or not a believer, I would encourage you to download that file and, and go to that person and say, hey, I've got an awesome pastor who knows God and knows his word, and he preached two sermons about the political situation in America. And, and if you're brave enough to listen to a differing opinion about it, hey, I'm going to give you these uh, files, and I would like you to listen to it, and I bet you're going to learn something, or, or I bet you're going to be, uh, you know, you're going to have your beliefs challenged, or I bet you're going to see something new that you never saw before. That'd be an easy way to give somebody. Uh, some awesome truth from the Lord about our political system today. So I would encourage you with that. But, so I say these things because, we're remember, we're talking about the coming opportunity for the church. So I say these things uh, because, number one, God's not done with America. So, so this is what the Lord was showing me as, as I was you know, praying, okay, Lord, you're saying there's a coming opportunity for the church. What does that mean? And one of the things he says is, I'm not done with America. I've never been done with America. Because you know why God's not done with America? Because the gospel needs to be preached throughout the earth. Remember, we're we're the ones financing the gospel. We're the ones sending out the gospel. And that's not done. The gospel needs to be preached throughout the whole earth. There's a lot of the earth left that hasn't had the gospel preached. And it says the gospel needs to preach to... to every, remember he said in uh, Mark, the Great Commission, go into the, all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. There's over 3,000 languages in the, in the world that don't even have the Bible translated into that language. There's work to be done. And so God's not done with America because we're the ones financing that. Whether it's the plains of Mongolia or a little village in Africa or somewhere in, South, in the Amazon forest in South America or a giant city, you know, in Europe or, or whatever it is, the gospel needs to be preached. Not only that, but you know what? Americans need to hear the gospel probably more than ever before. Do you realize that there's, our, there's a generation alive right now who has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's inconceivable to me because when I grew up, the majority of people still went to church. In fact, I was talking to um, a gentleman who's on the school board of a local school around here. And he said, you know, especially in the rural communities, like these are all considered mainly rural communities around here besides maybe Toledo area. But he said mainly the rural community revolved around like the Friday night sports and Sunday morning church. And that's what the whole community revolved around. Well, now it's just the sports and it's very little church, if at all. So there's a whole generation who haven't even heard the gospel. 
And I've been privileged enough to help Pastor Sandra with the youth group recently. And uh, I tell you what, what was used to be the exception when I grew up, the exception, uh, uh, you know, the, the one the, you'd have one case of, of something negative, or, and especially the ge- generation before me, you know, it was very an exception. What used to be the exception is now the rule for this younger, the millennial generation. I'm telling you, it's, I have not, I grew up in a youth group with maybe, you know, 25 to 30 kids. And maybe you'd have one difficult case or one kid dealing with certain issues, you know, whatever. Now, in the, today's youth group, it's everybody is dealing with these, these issues. It's across the board. And maybe you've got one kid who's like, you know, really strong or something like that, you know. It's a different world. And these kids haven't heard the gospel in schools. They haven't grown up with it like we grew up with it or, or my parents' generation grew up with it. It's different. And so they need to hear the gospel. So God's not done with America. Okay, so the, one of the second thing God shared with me is that America will see a resurgence in freedom. And you say, okay, well, what does that mean? I thought we were already free. America will see a resurgence in freedom. So there was three main areas that the Lord was speaking to me of a resurgence in freedom, and one was economically. So, you know, take this for what you will. I'm not saying this is gospel truth or that we should start writing Revelation 22 with what I'm about to say. But, you know, so, but the Lord was showing me, you know, that there's going to be an economic blessing again in this nation. Okay, all right, Father, I'll take your word for it. You know, that we're going to have more economic freedom, economic blessing. You know, where everybody, you know, there was a few years ago, there's um, everybody's thinking, well, the whole world's going to end, and we're all going to prep, and we're all going to you know, be living in caves and, you know, whatever. Well, God's not done with America. And what he was showing me, that there's going to be an economic resurgence in this country. Okay. I believe you, Lord. Second, that there's going to be a religious revival in this nation again. So there's going to be more religious freedom more opportunity to share our faith, more opportunity to build churches and to reach out to the communities. Okay, Father, I believe you. The third was media, and I I think we've seen this. There's going to be more freedom in media to be able to speak. You know, media is basically just a form of communication. So there's going to be uh, more freedom in media. I think we kind of see that with just like the rise of like, especially the internet and, uh, just communications and social media that where used to media used to be controlled just by like a little small handful of people if you think about it in our country whether it's like print or or spoken word on the radio or television it was really controlled by like less amount of people probably than there were in this room okay well now we see like this whole vast media just like of common people rising up with a voice with differing opinions and uh I'm not saying all that's good, and not not saying all the communication that's going on is good or of God, but there's freedom, and so I I think God's going to use that. Hey, awesome, okay. So what the Lord was saying to me is that we must use these opportunities wisely. We must, that, that there's something God wants to do. It's opportunity for the church. All right. So those are the points under the opportunity for the church. So the second, the second thing God is showing me was the coming wickedness of the world and a, and a falling away. Okay, so, so now he said to me that America is going to see an increase of wickedness. Hmm, what does that mean, Lord? Because that doesn't sound good. 
an increase of wickedness. Uh, so what he was showing me, and I think if we read this passage in Galatians, what does that mean, Lord, an increase in wickedness? Well, so if we have, if we have freedom and we're not supposed to use that freedom and that opportunity as an opportunity to desire or to gratify the desires of the flesh, like in verse 13, or as opportunity to sin, that means if, if we're not supposed to do that, there's an, a chance that we could, right? So that's what the Lord has shown me is that there's going to be a lot of people who take up that opportunity of the freedom that the Lord's going to provide here and that we, we really already live in, you know, and they're going to use that as an opportunity for the flesh, as an opportunity to sin more. And we read the works of the flesh. So anything, I'll just read them again. They're evident, it says. It's for plain to see. We can't deny it. We tried to, but it's, it's evident. Sexual immorality. I mean, it's self-explanatory. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy. Fits of anger rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So we're going to see all those types of things at work, even maybe in a more increasing manner, uh, more evident, more, especially with the rise of freedom in media, we're going to see more communication with those things. And it's not going to be pretty, I don't think. I, I don't like those things, and I don't like when I see those things in me, and that's why I try you know, to... Uh, let the Lord work in my life to remove those things on a daily basis. And if I accidentally stumble or sometimes maybe willingly stumble, I try to repent quickly because that separates me from what God has for me. But I think at the same time, we're going to see the world increase more and more in that thing, especially in America. And secondly, under that topic is that we're going to see a falling away in the church because of that. And this, that part broke my heart. When I, I saw, on that part, I saw a little bit of a vision, you might say, a spiritual vision, and I saw people falling away from the church because of the wickedness that's in the world because they started to take place in that same wickedness. And, they, and I, I actually, I wept. I wept because of that. It broke my heart that brothers and sisters, you know, could leave their Savior because of the wickedness in the world. And Jesus actually spoke the same thing. He, he warned of that. So here's your homework for on, under that topic. I'm not going to talk a lot more about that. I want you to read Matthew 10 and Matthew 24. Because Jesus specifically talks about that. The growing wickedness in the world and a falling away for people who participate in that wickedness. And I don't, want, I don't want to be part of that, and I hope that you don't want to be part of that either. Because the church must not join in. Because if we join in with that, if we join, join in and give place to the works of the flesh, we will go down that same road that those people are headed for. And the God doesn't want that. He wants glory. He wants goodness. He wants his plan in the church. Amen. Okay, so what can we do? What are things that we can do? What is our opportunity? How can we take advantage of it? How can we get on God's plan? Okay? So one thing we can do is we can grow spiritually. If we're not supposed to grow in the flesh, and we're, we're supposed to put that down and focus more on God, well, we can grow spiritually. And we have to know that we belong to God. 
just like the scripture Pastor Laura said at the end of worship. The least we can do, or yeah, the very least we can do is give all that we are. That's the least. So when we think we're given the most, given the best, given all, that's the very least we can do for God because He's so good. He's so big. And present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Present our lives as a living sacrifice for Him, holy and acceptable and pleasing unto Him. That's our spiritual act of worship. If you want to really worship God, it's, it's awesome. We're using our hands. It's awesome singing songs. It's, it's hearing from the Lord. It's blessing Him. But if you really want to worship Him, live for Him every day. Show that your life is a sacrifice for Him, that I'm laying my life down. I was bought with a price. Jesus paid His blood to have me. And so in return, I'm going to give my blood and my sweat and my tears and, and my resources and times and talent all for His glory. And I'm not going to live for me anymore. I'm going to live for Him. That's worship. Amen. So we can grow spiritually. We can develop a spiritual life. Develop spiritual habits. In other words, remember, we read the works of the flesh, but we also read the, the fruit of the Spirit. Let me read those again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if you're a born-again believer, the Lord living in your heart, ruling and reigning right in here, you belong to Him. Do you know that those things are in your spirit? They're inside you already. Love is in your heart. Joy is in your heart. Peace is in your heart. Self-control, you have it. (laughs) It's right here. So how do you bear fruit? You know, fruit's no good if it's inside the branch still. The fruit has to come out, you know. It has to go on the branch and and be evident for people to see. And then they can grab a hold of that fruit and partake of that fruit. So that fruit has to be evident in our actions. So we should be loving. We should be controlling ourselves. We should be gentle. So you can can have a a picture of the world. The world is going to have divisions and strife and envyings. And that's the fruit that's in the world. And we see, you know, like just giant protests and hatred and screaming. And is that a Christian's life? No. It says we're supposed to be gentle and faithful and patient. So we can develop those kind of habits. We can also crucify the flesh. So just as we experienced last month with the fast of our flesh so much crying out, wanting to have that food or that experience that we were denying it, okay? We, we realize, no, flesh, you're down here, and spirit, you're up here, and I'm going to follow after the spiritual things. And we develop a lifestyle like that. It's not like one day I decide, and suddenly I'm just glory like Jesus and an angel, and I'm floating, and I'm overcoming the whole thing. No, it's a daily struggle. Jesus said if he doesn't pick up his cross daily, Crucify the, the cross and crucify. Pick up his cross daily and follow me. Every day, it's a new thing. You get up, you pick up that cross, you crucify that flesh, and you go on with the Lord. Okay? So we, we can develop that spiritual life, develop over time. We can also be faithful with our time and resources. So if, if, the, if the Lord is saying, hey, I'm going to make this nation strong, and I'm going to have an economic growth in this nation, 
That means more money, more job opportunity, more, you know, whatever, finances, okay? That's coming. So we need to be faithful with our time and our resources right now. So he's given all of us something right now. I, I mean, we have something. We have a job, or maybe we have some sort of an income, and we have, you know, some form of discretionary income. I, I see everybody with nice clothes on. We all have shoes. I'm sure we all had breakfast, you know, or we had, you know, a cup of coffee. Some, so we've got discretionary income. It might be a dollar, but we've got discretionary income. It might be a quarter, but we've got discretionary income. That's what the Lord's entrusted unto us. It doesn't matter if it's two cents. And it's been proven in the Bible, Jesus proved it himself, that it's, you know, the faith of a mustard seed. It can be the smallest, smallest, smallest of things. But when you put it in the hands of the master, he does something great with it. And even the little widow woman who had two pennies, she, and she gave it. That was greater gift than the millionaires giving their gift. It was greater so it doesn't take much, but the only thing the Lord's looking at is faithfulness. Yes, sir. I just want to share, uh, in Mexico, we used to, actually, out in the colonia, that God touched me for missions. Because where they were living in the junk, and cardboard huts, garbage floors, and everything else, and uh, going there for years, and spent two years wrestling with God. I felt God was telling me to teach them about tithing. I mean, and I finally did it third year, and their own revival erupted out of that. And it was so, they said, nobody comes in here and teaches us what really needs to be taught. It's mm-hmm. no different than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And they had nothing. I mean, they go through the junk to get things that they could sell to make money and get things to eat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the poorest of the poor is kept for food. Yeah. And they took that teaching on tithing and ran with it. Mm-hmm. Makes a difference. It sure does. And, and you know, tithing doesn't even have to be money sometimes. I, there were times when we really had no, we had no money. When, I, when we were first Christians, we were first married, we had little children. We had no money. We had no food. I'm telling you. I, I've told this story before. We ate the last can of sardines, okay? The one, you know, you have that can of sardines in there that's been, we ate it with the, with the Ritz cracker that we had, you know, the stale half-twisted bag. That was our supper, okay? We actually, we cleaned it out. You know, I remember one time, like, we wanted to have, we wanted to watch a movie. Had no money. So we literally had the couch turned upside down, shaking it. Okay, we got to find, like, at least a eighty-five, you know, of change so we can rent a movie because, you know, we had no- So I've been there. We had nothing, okay? There were times we had nowhere to live. I mean, we were down and out as much as, as anybody. But I tell you what, we gave of, of what we had at the time. So we gave our time. So we, we had one jar of peanut butter, I remember, left, and like one half of a loaf of bread. And so you know what we did? We invited all the neighborhood kids. We lived over in East Toledo at the time. We invited all the little neighborhood kids because for some reason over there, the neighborhood kids, like four years old, they would just wander the streets. Like, well, what's going on with this? So we would invite all these neighborhood kids, and, they, they would, and we would feed them. Just all of our the leftover food, we would feed them. And, like, they'd bring broken toys to us, and I'd be trying to fix up their toys and, you know, just different things. And I remember one little boy, he was, like, four or five years old. He's like, why are you so nice to us, you know? A little child is asking me that. And we said, well, 
because it's the love of Jesus. We love you. And we were able to make a difference. And you know, by doing that, out of the blue, just through a certain set of circumstances, a man who had a food ministry, he would go to like Kroger and just different places and just get all this food that you know they were going to throw away. But it was still good, you know. So somehow then he came to us and he was like giving us all this food, which in turn then we turned, you know, we had some of it, but then we turned the rest back onto the neighborhood. And then I remember it was like, was it Saturday mornings that he would come? It was like it was like a food bank out of our house. Like the whole neighborhood would like come down here just to get all this food, and, and we were just able to share the love of God through food. We didn't have money at the time, but we had time. We had uh, ability. We had food, you know, that came in. So that was a form of giving. So we can do something. So we can be faithful with the with what we have now, brother Mo. Sure. Increase. That's right. That's right. It's the heart that God looks on, right? It's the heart. So we, can, so we can be faithful with our time and resources now. We can, we can grow spiritually, develop spiritual habits, okay? Put down the fleshly nature. We can be faithful with our time, faithful with our resources. Okay, we can also resist cultural change when it glorifies the flesh, when it glorifies weakness. Okay, I'm a normally, naturally conservative person. I like to, I think slowly, I speak slowly. Uh, I, I have rock-solid beliefs on who I am, and I believe who, what God you know, wants. So I'm a naturally a person who doesn't like change. So I, I fall, you call me a conservative-type person. That means I, I don't take giant steps and giant leaps forward. So you might say, well, you're just resistant to change. Well, yeah, okay, that's true. I'll give you that. But at the same so you might say, well, I'm, a, I'm against all cultural change. No, I'm not. There's lots of good things going on with our culture. But at the same time, we don't have to participate in cultural change that's for the bad, that's for the flesh, that's for wickedness. There's a lot of cultural change going on right now that's completely against God. So what does that mean you know, as a Christian? How, okay, well, how do I resist cultural change? Should we go protest and stand up and say, this is against God, you're going to hell? Oh, that doesn't follow what the fruit of the Spirit is, does it, right? So, so what is resist cultural change if it's glorifying wickedness? It's just not participating. Just don't do it. Okay, so if you see something that's 
one of those things listed or an aspect of one of those fleshly wickedness things listed that Paul says, watch out for. That's not what the kingdom of God's about. If you see some sort of new change or new thing in the culture that goes along those lines, pay attention today as you watch the halftime show and you'll maybe see what I mean. Uh, You don't have to participate. You don't have to do it. You don't have to repeat it. You don't have to join in. You don't have to whatever it out. Okay? Don't do it. And if you have opportunity when someone notices, hey, and and it will happen if you don't participate long enough. It doesn't mean you have to talk negatively about it, just you just don't participate. Someone will ask you, hey, how come you don't do that? They will ask you that. I've been asked that. How come you don't talk like a sailor at work? Okay? <laughs> Maybe women are getting asked that nowadays, Christian women. How come you don't talk like a sailor at work like all the rest of the women do? Well, it's because I've got a life inside of me. I've got God inside of me. Why would I have to talk? That filth can't come out of my mouth. I've got light in here. Why would darkness be pouring out of light? It's, it's, it's impossible. I'm not saying you never fail, okay? I, you know, I don't want to even go into it, but... <laughs> someday I'll tell the story but not saying you never fail but for the most part you know you're not participating in in those things that's changing in the culture and then you and when someone asks you'll be able to give a witness of why you don't participate that's not who I am I'm a child of God I do things God's way God's doing something big and I want to be a part of it so that's why I don't do that what else can we do we can also work towards spreading the gospel. So remember, this opportunity that the Lord's saying is coming. We need, so what can we do? We can work towards spreading the gospel around the world. I love this church because this church has a heart for missions. We support, I, I saw just above there uh, on the screens this morning, was a list of all of the missionaries you know, that we support as, as a body. I love that. I love supporting the gospel. If you can't go preach the gospel... You can give and support someone else who spreads the gospel. Remember, the Apostle Paul said, you know, all the people who supported him, all the churches, he said, the the same reward that I get for preaching the gospel, you get for preaching the gospel because you supported me and enabled me. And remember, how can they hear if someone doesn't preach? And how can someone preach if he doesn't go? Someone's got to go. And it costs money. So we can be about that business of spreading the gospel. We can also be about the business of building up the local church. So here's where we live. So I know that the gospel has to be preached around the world. So we're going to, you know, that's going to be an aspect of our, of our focus. But another aspect of our focus is right here, right here on the streets, on Star Ave, in Oregon, with these people here. We're going to build up this church. And we're all going to pitch in. We're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to give our time, our our talents and our treasures, and we're going to put our ability to work here. And we're going to see God move right here in these walls, in these seats, and, and over there with the children, and over here with the youth. We're going to see God move because we're going to committed to building it here. That's something we can do. And the, the last point is what we can do is be consistent. Take small steps, but consistent steps. Those are the things that bring true, true uh, victory. I used to be someone who 
thought, if I can't just have it all, I just don't want it. If I can't have it right now, I just don't want it. It's just too hard. But then I learned, because I never had anything and never got anything, that when I took small, consistent steps, I actually got somewhere. You know, and it doesn't make any sense to think, I want to go to uh, Toledo from Oregon. How am I gonna, I'm just going to jump there or just be transported there. No, you have to start. If you're going to go on a journey, you've got to start somewhere, and you've got to make small advances until you get there. It's like um, being a runner. We could uh, ask Brother uh, Dan Martinez and, and Sister Tina. You know, they run. And I can guarantee you that Dan wasn't sitting on the couch one day and he thought, I'm going to go run a half marathon today. He would have not be here any longer if he did try that, <laughs> probably. What did he do? He got up off the couch one day and he ran like five steps. And then he walked for like 20 minutes. <laughs> and the next day he got up and ran 10 steps. And he walked for 20 minutes. You know how I know? Because I've done the same thing. It's small steps, it's consistency over time that will get you to the place you want to be. Most people try to give up after so long, but if we stick to it, we will see that victory in our lives. So I would just con- uh, encourage you today uh, just to be prepared for what God is going to do. I know he's already doing it. You know, We're just now uh, coming to a place, I believe, where, where God can really start moving in our lives and in this nation for, for what he has planned. Now, I don't know. I don't know if this is like it. This is the one last big thing. If this, I don't know. It could be like one year. It could be 50 years. I have no idea. But, but I've only got now. So I've got to do what God tells me to do now and just let him worry about all the timing and that kind of stuff. So I would encourage you just to, to focus on that, to develop a spiritual life, and be ready for what God is going to do, because I know he's going to do something good in your life. And I'm excited for what he's going to do in my life. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. You love us so much, Lord. You're always thinking about how you're going to bless us and, and how you're going to rearrange our lives just to bring you more glory and to grow us up into Jesus. And Father, I just pray that we would be about your business. Father, that we would just be less focused on our own needs and our own desires and wants, but more focused on what you want to do in our lives and in this, this church and in this nation and this world. Father, I pray that we would just know that we've been bought with a price, that the blood of Jesus was shed, the ultimate price was paid, so that we could live and that we could be free. And that we can have an opportunity to live after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Father, I pray that the people of this church would start to live even more so, spiritual lives. That we would start to bear more spiritual fruit. That we would not have the fleshly nature any longer dominate our living. But, but we, through, through diligence and perseverance, Father, and faith in you, we would live more spiritual lives and bring glory to you. Father, I just pray that each and every one of us would give our lives fully to Jesus Christ. Commit to him that we would make him Lord of our lives, every aspect of our life. Not just, hey, so I can go to heaven, Father, but so that every day we yield 
to Jesus as Lord. So maybe you're here today, maybe you're saying, hey, I've never really made Jesus the Lord of my life. I've never really made that full commitment. I've heard maybe about Jesus. I I heard about him dying on the cross. I maybe wanted to go to heaven, but have you made Jesus your Lord today of everything? Every little hidden secret of your life, is he Lord of it? The Apostle Paul said in Romans, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you confess that Jesus is my Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And, you know, and that does mean salvation for eternity, that you can live with Jesus forever, right? But that also means, hey, I need saving where I am right now. I need saving in this situation, or I'm struggling with this. Well, confess Jesus as Lord today over that situation. Jesus, you're Lord over my finances. Jesus, you are Lord over my body. Jesus, you are Lord over that sickness, over that pain, over that weakness. Jesus, you are Lord over my relationships. I believe that God raised you from the dead. I believe that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working within me now to make me alive. Pray that today. See him be Lord of your life. Watch how he shows up and takes throne in your life and rules and reigns forevermore in you. Thank you, Father, for that. And as we close out today, if there's anyone who who needs prayer for any of these areas that we talked about today, if you need help dealing with a certain thing, as any altar workers would come forward, I just invite you. We'd love to pray with you today. We'd love to pray with you to help you deal with anything in your life that you need help with. Because we've got to be ready for what God's doing. So as we pray, just come forward if you need prayer today. Heavenly Father, I just bless these people. I just release them into your kingdom, into the harvest field, that they would go forth as laborers and workers just to preach the gospel, just to share the love of Jesus, just to live spiritual lives glorifying you, Father. And bring us back next week. Bring us back with stories of victory and stories of blessing and encouragement that we may help others and and just spread the word of what you're doing in our midst and in this church. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
out of 